Welcome, welcome to the Bro CR Supercast. Basically, a super cool podcast. See what we did there? <laughs> we discuss all things obstacle course racing, culture, and community that embodies it. From performing athletes, flashy new gear, and secret guacamole recipes. Yummy. We've got you covered, bro. Do you have questions? We want to find answers. Want to talk about running in the mud and your next big adventure? Cool. So do we. Now let's lace up those trail kicks and jump in the corral. The Supercast. The Supercast starts now. And welcome back to another episode of the Supercast. I'm Jacob Bozeker. Supercast. I'm Leah Hensley. Happy Tuesday, guys. Welcome, How's welcome. Today? I am doing good. Just got back from West Virginia. That was quite um, a rodeo. Uh, before we even start on anything else, I want to give a big shout out to our boy Ryan Woods. Um, yeah. We love you, Ryan. And he, it's about damn time. It's about he damn time. Totally shocked the world, I think. Um, let's just recap the fact that there was a total Ryan sweep on the podium this weekend um, exactly. for the Beast. First place, we had Ryan Woods, who held the lead like the entire race. They kept announcing it. I was in the festival area, and they kept announcing it. And Ryan it. Woods is still kicking ass. Still and in first, still in first. And it's like, <laughs> can he hold it? Can he hold it? And sure enough, not only did he hold it, but he kept widening the gap. So it was pretty cool seeing him come across the finish line in first place by a decent lead. I'm just um, so happy for the dude this yeah. year. Followed um, by Ryan Adkins in second and Ryan Kempson in third. Uh, then over on the ladies' side, um, great. Uh, Nicole had that for a good amount of time, but Lindsay ended up taking the taking the big W. Yep. The final, like, two miles of the race was just an obstacle gauntlet. Um, As Nicole it is. Yep. Nicole held the lead for the majority of the race, but, you know, when we got to that final gauntlet, Lindsay does what Lindsay does and surged ahead and Turned was able on. to take the lead and um, took the win. Uh, followed by Nicole Miracle in second and Becca Hammond in third. You know, it's good to see Becca back out there on the field. I, she's a great gal, and this is actually kind of the race that she started making a huge name for herself last year. Yeah, this was the race that everyone was like, wait a minute, who is that girl? Um, and then came on to dominate for, you know, a little while longer before suffering, um, I think it's an Achilles injury she had. Yep. Um, and this was her first race back. Um, obviously some time off in rehab did her well because she's, she's back up there. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so great, great weekend, great racing. Yep. We also had the West Point race, but really I think the focal point this weekend was everything that happened in West Virginia. And I am just sad that I didn't get to get out there, but I will be back here racing here in the next few weeks, hopefully. Um, and we'll, more on that coming here in the next few weeks on my, on my channels. But today... Um, we've got a great episode of the Supercast, but before we get into that, yep. uh, we're going to talk a little bit about one of our great sponsors here at BrewCR, Vanga. Vanga yeah. CBD, brought to you by endurance athletes for endurance athletes. Um, Vanga was pivotal this weekend um, with the combination. That, I mean, there was basically every kind of race possible this weekend. There was the Beast, the Super, the Sprint Trifecta weekend. There was also the 21K as well as the 10K Trail. Um Lots of mountains, lots of opportunities for muscle breakdown. Um, not if you're prepared, though, with Venga CBD. Um, they have the gel caps, the recovery balm, as well as the first aid gummies. Um, best quality CBD on the market with five times the absorption as, as your standard product. So, The key word here, guys, is recovery. If you're looking to get something, if you're racing back-to-back, races like that on a weekend um, you've got to get some of that in your system get it recovering and take care of your body also want to give a shout out to bill brumbach from bro cr if you were paying attention to the 21k this weekend he took second in yep the of elite. the elite um yep, look at our boy go there deal. good for him good, good for job, you yeah. billy boy uh congrats <laughs> um with that being said we got a special episode all about running today um, we do Leah, we have who we got on board we have an amazing man who took running to the extreme. You've heard Run Forest Run. We've got Run Maddie Run, who ran across the country from California to New Hampshire. 
uh, and didn't really follow a straight line. So uh, we've got a great episode for over 5,000 miles, over $100,000 raised for, uh, for firefighter cancer. Uh, yep. Let's kick right on over to it. And we are here today with a very special guest here of this episode, Maddie Gregg. Uh, Leah? Welcome, Maddie. We are super excited to have you here. Uh, it's great. It's great to be on, uh, Bruce Yard. Thank you. No problem. So I was first introduced to you, I guess, ooh, probably 2016, maybe, through the world's toughest mutter community. Yeah. Um, I think that that's kind of where most people may originally know you from. Um, and so for those who have not heard of Maddie through World's Toughest and now his recent crazy endeavor, um, we wanted to introduce you. So um, give us a little background, Maddie, of kind of where you came from as far as the sport goes and we'll go from there. Sure. So my first Tough Mudder was with a bunch of friends at uh, when I worked at Apple back in 2011. It was the Tahoe 2011 Tough Mudder. And that was back in the day, pre-10-mile uh, limits, and there were no loops. Uh, it was just basically one big course. And they would always say things like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a 12-ish mile course. And it would end up being like 16 or 17. But, um, the, yeah, those were the crazy days of, uh, of OCR <laughs> for, for Tough Mudder especially. And um, so that course ended up being about seven, almost 17 miles Wow. And uh, me and my friends were hooked on it. So we started doing Tough Mudders all over the country in 2012 and 2013. And in 2012, I heard about this crazy race that took place in English Town, New Jersey called World's Toughest Mudder. And yeah. I said, you know what, let's let's try to let's try to go do that. So I remember <laughs> I lived in New York City before I lived in California. And so I, I kind of just went back to New York City because I figured, well, I should have something familiar that I can kind of go back to. So uh, I got a hotel in New York the night before. And I remember running, uh, you know, it's about November. It's it's uh, middle of November. And I remember taking my wetsuit and putting it on for the first time the night before World's Toughest Mudder. And I was run and I ran five miles in Manhattan with my wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> That's dedication. It's, it's not only dedication, but I definitely got some looks. Even even oh, some sure. of the yeah you know, the the police officers had stopped me on the uh, on the Hudson and said, "What are what are you doing right now?" I came here yeah. to party, man. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it's crazy. Funny. Yeah. So and then the following night went to Englishtown, New Jersey, and jeez, uh, the rest is history. That was a, it. It used to be a ten mile loop when we did it um, in 2012, and yeah. I, I remember some of the yeah, I remember some of the crazy stuff that uh, that that we did on that on that time frame. Uh, like like we, it was so cold then. I think it was like thirty three degrees and uh, thirty four degrees, something like that. But anyway, the the ice was so bad you couldn't get up any of the obstacles, which I heard happened in Atlanta this last time. It um, definitely I, happened. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it got so bad that there was ice, you know, everywhere, and um, we couldn't get up any of the obstacles. And I remember, you know, when you're doing this for 10 miles in a loop, you just basically, they, they would have med tents. They had two med tents um, stationed in the 10-mile loop, and I would get into the med tent, and they would hand me a, a, a cup of soup, like really piping boil uh, pretty much boiling soup, and they're like, here, drink this. And I would just grab it, and I looked at them, and I would just pour it on my feet. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Which that's pretty trying to warm anything up that you could. <laughs> right. It's the craziness of world stuff as modern. So I, I did in 2012. I uh, finished that off. I got. Um, I was very proud of the fact that I that I did 30 miles. I think a lot of people would say like only 30 miles, but that first year was just back cool. then, and that's a huge deal back then. Back then, that's yeah, that's a game changer back then, especially with a 10 mile loop. The five mile loop, I really think, is more conducive of something like that because you get back to civilization a little quicker. Exactly. Yeah. Still. Well, yeah, and and I mean, nobody knew what they were doing back then. I mean, yes, we had 2011 to kind of look at and say, you know, some people did that, but I mean, the the person that got third place in 2011, world's toughest mutter, he walked the entire course, and yeah. so that kind of that kind of gives you an idea of what of how crazy it was in Englishtown, New Jersey, in November. 
Um, and on top of yeah. that, like the sport was young at that point. We've blown up since then. We see like these insane athletes now with insane distances, and it's just a very different ball game. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's totally different. And 2013 was when they kind of converted it to the five mile loop, and that was when a a young upstart named Ryan Atkins came on the scene. Mm-hmm. I remember those years. Yeah. Yeah, he shows up to the course and he gets 100 miles and we're all like, who is this guy? (laughs) This turkey shows up. So you become kind of one of the faces of Tough Mudder, I think, as far as ambassadors and involvement with with the brand goes. Um, One of the most, you know, notable things as far as, you know, I'm concerned is is your massive fundraising efforts. Um, Absolutely. I know World's Toughest Mudder, or I guess Toughest Mudder as a whole, used to be partnered with Wounded Warrior Project, and that's kind of where your fundraising started with them. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. In, um, mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. No, so I was going to say, so we're not just talking about like, oh, someone just raising a couple hundred dollars here. Like, give we're us talking some thousands stats and thousands here. of like, bucks here. Yeah. Like, what are some of the, you know, your accomplishments with, with the fundraising efforts? So I think in total, um, with all the fundraising that I did specifically, and, and by the way, I, we, we actually, like in the first year, first couple of years, I kind of soloed a lot of the fundraising. And then we started to build out these teams for World's Toughest Mudder that would have these, you know, these, these individual folks kind of fundraise their own. And so we ended up like reporting up larger larger sums of money, you know, with the entire team being, you know, part of this fundraising. So yeah, I think- sure. It's definitely important to note that, but basically, I think the final total that we raised while I was in the, you know, in doing World's Toughest Mudder from 2012 to 2000, well, 2013 is when we started fundraising, so 13 to 17, we raised almost, um, I think, roughly 325, $350,000. Oh, my stars, man. That's great. So That's it's great. A, yeah, it's a, it's a good amount, and it went to, to great charities. Of course, Wounded Warrior Project was the first one that we kind of were turned on to. And then St. Baldrick's, we helped out. Um, we all had a, a head shaving event right before World's Toughest Mudder on the start. So what year was that that you did that for St. Baldrick's? I forget. That was 2016. Okay, that, was that was my first World's Toughest. And that was an amazing sight to see before the start. You know, Ryan Atkins and several of the athletes and, yeah. um, you know, other people That's just a great came. thing you know, shaved their heads for the, for the cause and donated money up through, you know, up through the event through selling socks and patches and all this other stuff. So, I mean, it was amazing to say. Yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. Like even with the elite community, I, I, we, we shouldn't, I think we start to hate that word elite, but just some of the really great obstacle course racers in the community just stepped up and they were part of this uh, fundraiser and they helped not only getting the word out, but also donating money of their own. Um, just, just incredible people. You know, and you kind of going back there and saying like, you know, elite kind of almost a four letter word there, but community here is really the thing to focus like with here, what, with whatever we've got. It's, it's a beautiful thing when you come together like this. And it's something I'm especially feeling more and more with the series and OCR just as a whole. When I see things like the community come together, man, they can get so much stuff done. And it's such a great thing. And that, that's a huge message, Jacob, actually. That's that's a big message. Is we, we really started to take off on our fundraising efforts. And I, I didn't even mention Team Rubicon, the, the final year. Oh, yeah. We raised, we raised $110,000, $115,000 that year, too. And it really started to kind of take off once we organized a bunch of people around the concept. So yep. that that really is what it's all about. I mean, here's here's the thing that I think is is kind of an easy fundraiser um like hook for donors mm-hmm. uh, telling your friends and your family that you are doing something crazy like a 24-hour race gets them to want to donate to whatever cause you're actually doing it for well absolutely it's, it, it's really kind of a simple formula because it's when I, as soon as i started telling my coworkers i'm doing this 24-hour mud race they were like that's the craziest thing i've ever heard and, and then I would say, well, I'm also doing it for St. Baldrick's and I'm going to shave my head at the beginning of it and all this other stuff. And so people were like, well, where can we donate? Because it's for a good cause and we want to support you because you're doing something pretty insane. And I think that none of that has to do with winning the race. None of that has to do with, you know, you know, becoming, you know, placing or anything like that. This this ended up being my race. My race was, you know, fundraising as much as I possibly could. 
you know, it, that's that's the beauty of it, though. It's like you're going to go out, you're going to do something big, might as well get more people involved to get people to acknowledge right. about something bigger. Like, to you're going out there on the big stage, let's make it even just a blowout. And that's mm-hmm. just a great thing. Um, so flash forward now mm-hmm. to a few years later, you know, many um, grateful – no, sorry, sorry, no. Um, evil Dead. You, you do an <laughs> Evil Dead uh, musical too, right? Yes. Yeah, and that's like your first so many one. other questions about that later. <laughs> oh, definitely. That's a good. But, that's a good one. I can talk about that for a long time. Oh my god! But um, so flash forward here to now, you started running across the country. Um, for yeah. A, uh, where did that come from? Let's, what, let's yeah. go to the inception of that. We've gone from now fundraising for specific charities to now you, waking up one day and. I'm going to run across the country. So. And not just a clean run. Like, you yeah. zigzagged like a pro. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the idea for the run came a long time ago. Um, my, yeah, so my dad uh, was, he, I, I wouldn't really call him a runner, but he was very athletic and he was very in shape. And he was a big influence in my life for the early years. He actually passed away um, uh, prematurely. But during his time when he was alive, he actually would take me to run around the pond and, you know, run around a pond local here in New Hampshire. And he he would um, he also uh, actually turned me on to the movie called The Terry Fox Story. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I'm not. So Terry Fox was an amputee who actually tried to run across America and he got he got very, very close. He actually ran across North America. He got very close and almost finished it. But it was basically kind of a story about triumph. And he was the first, I think, amputee that attempted it. Uh, But he was an inspiration for a lot of people that wanted to do a transcontinental um, in their lives. And so it was always one of those things in the back of my head. I saw that movie when I was 67 years old. And I was pretty, I was pretty impressed even back then by the idea that somebody would run across the country knowing, you know, kind of having an idea of how big it is. So that always was in the back of my head. And I always said one day that, um, you know, I'd work on, I'd work in California uh, for a little while. And then after I kind of had my fill of California, I would run back to New Hampshire. Um, And this was kind of, I know it's it's crazy. (laughs) It's, but it's always been a dream of mine. It's always been something that I wanted to do. And it almost was a pipe dream until I uh, actually was doing BFX 24. Okay. So BFX 24. One of the few guys that have claimed that. That is where <laughs> I met you for the first time. I thought so, Leah. Yeah. I, I thought that's where we met. Yeah. Yep. All right. So in BFX 24, uh, there was an obstacle at the very beginning. You probably remember this, where we had to do a rope climb. And I think we had to climb up to a bell and hit it and move on. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't do it. I couldn't do it. And then I was asking everybody, well, what was the penalty? Because I couldn't remember what it was. And a bunch of people said, oh, the penalty is a, um, is a sandbag carry, you know, down a little bit of a path. And I was like, okay, great. But then they started saying, well, it's actually two sandbags. Mm-hmm. So, jeez. Oh, yeah, so each okay. one was each one was 50 pounds, and so I loaded both of the sandbags on my back, and I felt something go. Um, and it, this was 20 minutes into the race, I think. It was... Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was geez. early on, if I remember. Yeah, the, the, I think it was like the, the... I think it was the second obstacle. The first was just a wall climb, and then it was... You'd kind of run up to this rope climb, and you, you'd go up and down. But anyway, so I felt something go in my, my neck, and I couldn't move my arm for the rest of the race. I ended up doing, I think, 55 miles... Um, that race, but the okay. the I, I basically had to do the entire thing one-handed because my arm right. wasn't wasn't moving. But over the course of the next two to three weeks, it started to get a tiny bit better until I went to Tough Mudder, LA, and then I woke up the next morning and I just felt the worst nerve pain I've ever had. Oh, jeez. So yes. yeah, apparently what had happened is that my my C my, my I had a C six C seven massive protrusion into the spine. Um, okay. And it perforated and basically was just like this. It was just sticking into my spine and causing a lot of nerve pain. So I was losing feeling in my left arm uh, and I was losing strength and all this other stuff. So the doctor suggested surgery. And so after my surgery was completed, it was about a four to six week uh, period of recovery. Yep. And this was this was about this was May of 2016. Mm-hmm. And so the four to six week period where I couldn't go back to work, I was just like, you know what? Now's the time. Now's the time to start thinking about doing this if I ever want to do this. 
So okay. it, it became on the docket at that point um, because, you know, another major injury. And I don't know that I would have been able to do it or, you know, I'm 41 now. I can't imagine wanting to do this in three to four years. You so, know, and where I'm sitting right now, and I, I don't want to deter the story or anything. So I'm coming off um, viral meningitis right now. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. And I can I can totally understand nerve damage and nerve recovery horrible it's horrible and it's you're so slow yeah if there's one time that you've got to slow down and think about things man right now is the time because it's put a lot of things in perspective for me right now where i'm sitting (laughs) so back in 2016 is when you started mapping this out then yeah the uh right after um probably about six weeks after when I could start really moving around again. Um, I started to get into the best shape of my life, honestly, like just from a training perspective, I said, this is, this is the time we're going to make this happen. And, um, I gave my two year notice to my boss at Apple, um, because it required the stuff that we were working on at Apple, it kind of required us to to give that much time, but I gave him, I gave my, yeah, I gave him my two-year notice and I actually said, oh, I'm going to start in April of 2019. That's, you know, or I'm sorry, April, 2018. And, uh, he was like, okay, that that's fine. It sounds a little crazy, but I'm sure you're, you know, we've got plenty of time so we can do a good transition. And I think I got to the point where I realized that running my path that I was going to run across America in April of 2018 was not the smartest idea because I would end up being in Arizona in the center of July. Ooh, yes. So yeah, that's a little bit warm there. Yeah, it's a little, <laughs> little bit warm. Don't want to run around. And actually, I was basically heading directly from you know Arizona up to New Mexico through Texas. And I just said, this, those aren't the the months you want to hit that. Not really. And then, and then I would hit the winter once I actually got to the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. So. Long story short, I delayed it for six months. So basically what ended up happening is that um, it actually was election day that I had left my job. Um, I went and I voted that morning and then I went into work um, to Apple Park, which is basically this kind of like circular spaceship. I don't know how mm-hmm. much about it, but it, yep. it's an wow. exact, the circumference of the, of the building is exactly one mile. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, so I, I ran with a bunch of friends. Uh, actually, um, trying to think of some of the folks from the OCR community that were there. Uh, Asan Forkanda, who I had done World's Toughest Mutter with mm-hmm. a lot, was there. Um, Amelia was there, Amelia Boone. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think. I think, those, yeah, those were the, the – Anne Volpere was there, who I've done a bunch of uh, OCRs with. And um, just had, you know, 20, 25 people run that first mile with me. And then I turned in my badge, and I just started running. So – so Man, a, let's you, talk about logistics. So, you know, you're, you're looking at a map and you're going from point A to point B mm-hmm. and logic tells us in math class, straight line. <laughs> How did you go about mapping this route? Because from point A to point B, from coast to coast is how many miles? Uh, you mean normally? Right, normally. So if you're going to do, so the normal trans, gosh, if, if this is a normal thing, the, nor- <laughs> the normal transcontinental is typically clocked around 27, 2600 miles. That's about what I was estimating. Yeah. Yeah. Depending upon where you go. I mean, from San Francisco to New York is a little bit on the high side. That's 2900 miles. Okay. But the, the, the shortest distance is actually 2,343 miles. And that's from Jacksonville, Florida to San Diego. Okay. So you can actually you can actually do uh, a transcontinental in 2350 20, basically, um, and and if you wanted to, or you could go do a transcontinental up to the three thousands if you wanted to get into Canada. Um, but but basically, it's around the 26, 2700 miles before people start. You know, like the, there's a couple of groups of transcontinental runners, and they kind of take you seriously after a certain mileage. And I think twenty five to twenty six hundred is when they do that. So why did you want to double it? <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, the, the big reason why I started kind of planning out where I wanted, like the, the, the thing that kind of motivated my plan out was I wanted to see certain cities that I'd never seen. Awesome. Uh, and I wanted to see certain areas that I'd never seen either. Um, I was contemplating writing a book on kind of America in general, like the they United should. States. I, I think, I mean, with the, with the data that we've been able to kind of collect that we, that I've been able to collect along with the people that have been along for the journey. I mean, it's pretty interesting stuff. And 
I think, you know, maybe three or four people might read it, but, you know, those three to four people might be captivated by what we found. Um, you know, I think probably not necessarily for this, you know, for this podcast, but I can say like, you know, just some of the fascinating things about just natural landmass, how it actually uh, affects the socioeconomic, um, you know, path of a certain community is incredible. Just like, you know, having mountains there versus, versus having a river versus having, you know, uh, heat every single day versus having cold, like all of that stuff affects um, pretty dramatically, you know, the socioeconomic, uh, uh, you know, path that a community is on. Absolutely. So, you know, just just fun stuff like that, discovering things, talking to a bunch of different people that I never would have talked to, um, going to, you know, their places where they live, getting to hang out, meeting a lot of folks. I mean, it was it's just been an incredible journey and it wasn't necessarily all about running. I know a lot of people that have done transcontinentals and then when I ask them questions about certain areas they've gone through, they're like, I don't remember it. So well, I will, that's the thing. It's like if you're going to take this time and you're going to do this once in a lifetime experience, like, you know, I think it's awesome that you're able to now sit back and reflect and say, I was here. and This is what I, you know, what I experienced and what I saw and the conclusions you drew from it, because otherwise, what's the point? Right. You're, you're dead on, Leah, about that. And I think the, the key to um, this might sound a little weird. I'm going to rattle off some stats. So the, yeah, the, sure. entire, the entire run was um, 5,425 miles. Okay. And the, um, the average that I did was a little, it was basically 24 miles a day when you break it down. But for the vast majority of the run up until the point when I hit Washington, D.C., I was averaging about a marathon a day. Okay. So that seems, I think to a lot of people, when you talk to them, it seems like a lot. Um, and I would actually kind of say, I would claim that it's not. So the person that actually broke the record for running across America is a guy named Pete Kostelnik. And he averaged 75 miles a day, basically 75 miles a day across the country for 40, 40, I, I might be wrong here. It was either 42 or 45 days. I can't remember. But he um, averaged 75 miles a day to do that. So if you think about what the human body is capable of, I didn't hit my 100% you know, capability because I wanted to spend a little bit more time in these areas. And I wanted to kind of take pictures and remember these areas a little bit more. But you know, still ran a marathon a day, which is it's a little bit. And it takes a little bit of time. <laughs> Just a little bit. Well, talk about like the day-to-day -day on this like the logistics of it how how did you go about doing this obviously you were not by yourself this whole time not no and and for the vast majority of the time i wasn't by myself and that i consider myself fortunate in that regard and a lot of that actually comes from the ocr community so in the case of i think seven out of the nine months phoebe brimer was with me and i don't oh, know wow. if you if, phoebe. okay you do okay great yeah, yeah phoebe's oh, yeah. awesome She's amazing. She's absolutely amazing. And she was Great with me seven of the nine months. She was, you know, she, she does online tutoring. So she was able to kind of work okay. where we were, <laughs> which was crazy. Like basically she would, uh, kind of describing a day to you, uh, we'd start off, I, we had an RV with us. And so mm -hmm. we'd okay. wake up in the morning to the RV, you know, in the RV, parked at a Walmart or a truck stop or wherever we could find a place. And we would drive to the start point um, because we had another vehicle with us as well. She would drive four to five miles up. She would stop and start tutoring while I basically would run to the truck wherever she was on the path because we determined the path of the day beforehand. Mm -hmm. And so I basically just grabbed some drinks. We had a cooler in the back. I would grab a drink or two and then I'd continue to run the next four to five miles. Um, got about to 16 to 17 miles before we hit lunch. And then we would go somewhere for lunch. We would then drive back after lunch to the point where we would we would start. Uh, we would actually had finished at lunch, and then we would just continue on uh, to the end of the day. Man, what an adventure! That is just okay. So that is just so insane. Day after day after day. It, it's how many days again? Two hundred seventy-five. That's oh, talk about the man. mental. Like, what was the mental? trip like during this time did you ever think about quitting was it ever like what did i do and second guess yourself so there was only one time i ever thought about quitting and it was in arizona okay. and i think i was 
gosh, I think I was 1,200 miles in. And the, the, thing about, the thing about being at the 1,200, 1,300 mile mark is that you think, wow, that's a lot. But it doesn't register when you look at everything you have in front of you. And for me, um, I, the thing about Arizona that was interesting or in terms of where I thought I was going to quit was it was basically, it was, I think it was about 20 miles outside of what, what is called Snowflake, Arizona. Okay. Um, to the, it's, it's to the east. And, um, no, no, I'm sorry, it's to the west of Snowflake. So um, I'm running and I'm just like not having a good time. And my mind is just in complete chaos. I've never run, just, just for reference, I've never run, and I think this is the vast majority of people that do OCR, I've never run more than 1,300 miles in a year. So the idea that, that I had done this basically in a month and a half was a little bit <laughs> kind of crazy to me. And, you know, but it didn't register to me as something that was like a, uh, an accomplishment because of everything that was still in front of me. So I got to the point one day where I just lost my mind. Like I just finally said, this is it. I'm not going to, I can't, I can't do anymore. I'm not going to do anymore. And I called up Phoebe and I said, just come pick me up. And there was nothing out there. Like where I was in Arizona, there was nothing out there. There were no desolation. Yeah, it was basically desolation. There were a couple of towns, a couple of towns every now and then. Not a lot of people were in it. Um, there wasn't a lot that you could kind of glean, um, you know, from information, uh, you know, I'd always look up how the town was created and a lot of it was just, you know, kind of like settled in and not a whole lot of like, you know, thought went, uh, you know, behind actually like, like doing, like, like settling the town. And so there wasn't a lot of information for me to kind of pick up on. So you can only listen to so many podcasts. I just had this one day where it was like, I'm done. And so I had Phoebe come pick me up and she said, yeah, just take, take a moment. We went to lunch and, um, I just had lunch and we kind of like went, went, went pretty far away to get to lunch. But then when we, when I went through the town again and I just kind of had, we had brief conversations with the people who were local there and I just kind of said, okay, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I went back out and I finished another five to 10. I, well, I think that day was another 10 miles. And then, um, I never really seriously then after that gave it a thought to quit. I think it was always a, uh, I think from that point on, it was always, um, uh, always, what can I do next? I started to take it a day at a time and really each day became the accomplishment. It wasn't about the final, final destination. You know, that is just so inspiring. And I think that's when you're looking at the ultra world and looking at something just biting off something so monumental so just beyond what we are and taking in so much you've just got to break it down into bite-sized portions like that right yeah. right that's exactly well, right. to lunch <laughs> i mean even to lunch that's right like i started running for lunch i started running then i started running for the end of the day and you just basically go and then you start running to the truck which is every four to five miles and you think okay this is how far i've gone today and you know it's only really like looking back after a run where you can then say oh i've reached 1500 miles oh i've reached 2000 you know, when the day, when you get to the day where there's a milestone, like a big milestone, like maybe 1500 or 2000 or whatever, mm -hmm. you start to kind of figure out, well, what cool thing can I do to leave in this area? And so I was just finding license plates on the side of the road and I was writing like, you know, my mileage at the, on the back of the license plate. And then I was just kind of like nailing it to a, you know, a, a tree or a pole or something mm -hmm. um, where I reached that milestone. And then I just, you know, Kind of took a couple pictures. I was like, this is fun. And then I just kept going. That's awesome. So <laughs> that circling so back to fundraising, let's also not, you know, neglect to talk about the fact Firefighters that this, cancer. This, yeah, this, this run wasn't just for funsies. Like you had a purpose. <laughs> yeah, I did. I had a purpose. So it, it, that was incredible. The, the, the firefighter um, community across the entire United States, it's not just, I can't just say one area. The entire United States is incredible. They, the idea that someone outside of the firefighter community was doing something for them was almost a foreign concept to them. And that kind of made me sad. So I, I, I would go into some of these firehouses across America, like, you know, a, a couple of note, um, the Austin fire department, the Houston fire department was incredible. Uh, Lafayette fire department was amazing. And I mean, uh, basically all across the United States, they, they were incredible. Even Cal California was amazing too. 
but the they all were the same they were all very gracious when when i would show up to the i would run into a fire station i'd say hey just so you know i'm running across america for firefighter cancer support network so they they, they had two reactions to me when i would show up to these fire stations of which i think we hit about 200 uh 250. The, wow. yeah ran ran by 250 which is uh i mean just anyway insane the um they they would have a reaction of that's crazy first mm-hmm. and then they were like wow that's incredible that you would do it for firefighter cancer and i think it's important to note and i'm glad that we have a little bit of time where we can talk about this firefighter cancer is a big problem absolutely and i, I don't like i and I, I some of the statistics are pretty crazy hit um, us with some of them well so so Firefighters as a whole, as part of their duties and what they get exposed to in in terms of the levels of toxins and uh, carcinogens and everything else that's inside of fires these days, um, firefighters are 10 to 20 percent more likely to get cancer over other people. But that is only kind of the story that only tells half the story because you think, well, that's not that bad. But the other problem is, is that they are a lot more likely to pass on because of the fact that the cancer itself is so fast moving in comparison to everybody else's. Really? Okay. That, so yeah, it's not see, just that they're getting cancer, it's becoming more fatal. Exactly. It's becoming it's more, more fatal. aggressive. Okay. And it's, it's a lot more aggressive. It's an epidemic. I keep using the word epidemic after I, I've run through these fire stations because I'll always ask the question when I go in these stations, I say, so who do you know has, has who, who do you know from this fire department that's been affected by cancer? And I, I can't, I can't remember one fire station that I went into that didn't have some sort of person that was affected by cancer, um, some sort of firefighter that was affected by cancer. So it's a big deal. Um, Absolutely. And so I, I, you know, getting the word out, I think was the big thing, Get, you know, not only to the fire stations, it, it's, it's actually kind of funny because some fire stations that I went into, there's kind of this process that each one of the fire stations can go through to get ready for, you know, taking care, like taking care of their turnout gear, and taking care of other things when they come off of a fire. Um, you know, they have like these new special washing machines and they have like a decontamination process that's now kind of accepted. But there are a lot of stations out there that don't have that. And I think that that one of the things that I would do is when I ran into a station and I noticed that they didn't have it, I said, well, when are you going to get it? And then I started talking about Firefighter Cancer Support Network and what, what they're doing. Getting as- them the resources that they need to... Absolutely. That's, that's amazing. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So that a lot of it is just, you know, knowledge and awareness from themselves of, of what to do. There was, I remember vividly one fire station I went into and I saw that they had just come off of a fire, a, a small fire. And one of the firefighters had fallen asleep with their turnout gear on. Ooh. I'm not going to say which one it was, but they, with their turnout gear on, on the, on their uh, recliner. And I was, it's just, you know, it's not just the awareness of of everybody around firefighters, but also the awareness themselves to to make sure that they have a decontamination process for their gear. Unnecessary exposure. Yeah, exactly. So how did you pick, why did you pick this particular, I mean, obviously it's a huge, you know, important resource, but, you know, of all the charities, of all, you know, you've been involved with veterans, you've been involved with cancer with children like why did you pick the firefighters network this one in particular i picked because number one i thought that they would be kind of the leading the leading authority on firefighter cancer um i i thought and and they i they are i mean they're growing very very quickly um number two i knew that the money would have a direct impact because they're small they're only in 35 states and they're growing into all 50 now. They're trying to get into all 50 and this money would have a direct line to do that. And so that's that's a big part of it. Um, but the other part of it is, is that they do, they take a bunch of the money that they actually uh, get from through donations and they get it uh, to cancer research. And I do believe, in, in my opinion, the most aggressive cancer probably deserves the most money for research because that's probably where you're going to find a lot of the answers. You know, and it's like, just like you said, it's going to flow over to other re- areas of research. We're going to learn things in this portion that we can carry over into other instances of the cancer society and just and studies in general. Right. Exactly. So what was your goal? What, what did you set as far as your fundraising goal going into this? 
Well, I, I, I set a goal that was absolutely out of this world ridiculous. It was $1 million. Goodness. Uh, yeah, I, I said, hey, why not? I mean, I'm doing something crazy. I'm running across America. Why not just yeah, see, why not? you know, right. throw a million dollars out there, see what happens. And I think we got to, and we're not, I'm not done. There's a lot of, uh, there, there are a lot of, I think there's going to be fundraising till the end of the year. And I think that we'll probably get even higher than we are, where we are now. We're roughly about 140 to $150,000 in. That's amazing. I mean, we're talking about one man leading this project. Now, obviously, you, you didn't do it by yourself. You had a team of people helping you. But to think that this effort has yielded that much money so far is, is incredible. Well, thank you. It's, it it definitely has an impact on on a you know on a community of people, the firefighter community that has an impact on all of our lives. I mean, they always put their lives on the line for for us. So, right. absolutely. Sure. So so carrying this on, then uh, another whole reason for this run, you are now running for um for uh, uh, sorry, my brain here. Um, for office you're, somewhere, right? For office there in uh, your home state now because of this, with all this going on. So I, I will. I absolutely will, will. Yes, I will be. I'm not running for office now. Um, I'm, okay. waiting, I'm waiting to figure out. I think what I'm going to do is get the aforementioned book that we were talking about a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to try to get that out before I start looking for political, uh, my, my political aspirations to be fulfilled because I've, uh, right now, I'm just very happy to be home. I don't know how much you know about like my personal situation, but I just moved back. Yes, to you bought your kid, your childhood home. Yes, yes. So a little I, bit of work I, to do there. What's that? A little bit of work to do there, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Well, uh, you know, it, the people that actually had it before, they're the nicest people in the entire world. They're great. Um, I they've done a really good amount of work here, um, but but there is definitely some work that I want to do. So I'm just really excited to be back in the house and kind of relaxing a little bit, getting my getting, you know, back to my life, because basically, you know, when I started the run, I had a condo in California. I had my life set up at Apple. I have, you know, you know, vehicles out there. Everything everything was set up for me, like like ready to go. And now all of that is gone. And so just being back home in my childhood home gives me a pretty decent route. But I haven't set foot in this place since, since 1993, so it's a little bit like you know, kind of a challenge to figure out where everything is. And how, and I'm, I'll be honest, this is my first home that I've ever owned. I, I've owned a condo, but I've never had like a house. So okay. you know, mowing lawns is kind of a, it's kind of a foreign concept to me. So doing stuff like that, I'm just enjoying right now. Um, just being an owner for a change. Yeah. That's this right. is like a literal and you know figurative and literal rebirth for you. I mean, you basically are going literally back to your roots and starting over. Yeah, no, it's it's very true, Leah. That's exactly you know when I look out the I look out the window. I actually my favorite thing to do right now, and this is crazy, but um, you know being back in this house, I think my favorite thing to do is that you know I'm working on. Evil Dead the Musical, I think, is my next big project. When I'm not working on that, I just love to turn on the TV and just watch Stranger Things because it, it's basically set in the time frame where I was in this house. And that, you know, the kids, the, the four kids, uh, they, that was pretty much my life. Like I had three other friends and we would like tool around on bikes all across the city. And I mean, it was just great. We go to the arcade. Awesome. Yeah, I'm just I'm loving it right now. So that's awesome. great. Okay, so we're kind of coming here to the end of our time, yeah. Maddie. Um, okay. Would love to ask you just, for our listeners out there, what was the biggest takeaway that helped you just grow as a person from this trip, would you say? Um, so that's a great question. I think one of the biggest takeaways, if not the biggest, was, um, was how I got this done. I think the biggest challenge that we have as a, I don't want to say as a society, that sounds a little cheesy, but um, I think the biggest challenge that we have is that when we try to do something beyond our capability or perceived to be beyond mm -hmm. our capability, we don't give ourselves the time to do it, um, the time and the space to do it. And I think that's one of the things, I think doing a nine month run required almost two and a half years of planning. 
And I don't know that anybody will see that. And to be quite frank, I don't know that I saw it until the very end of the run when I was like, wow, this actually, I think that the planning process actually helped me, like helped me a lot get to the end point at the end of the run. There are too many people I see that do transcontinentals that are like, I'm going to go do it. And it's, you know, I mean, I think Lazarus Lake, I don't know if you know who that is, but yep, I, I know Laz. that dude is crazy. He he did a transcontinental like two years ago and he just basically was like, I'm going to go do it and started walking. And he yep. ran into, granted, he's much, he's older, but he yep. ran into a lot of problems going across America. Um, right. you know, same thing for uh, Mike Posner this year. I don't know if you know Mike, but he's, he was doing a walk across America. He's a musician. And uh, he, he actually got bit by a baby rattlesnake going a little bit off the trail. And uh, he's, not, he's recovering now. He's finally out of like, like the critical phase. But a lot of this stuff just takes planning. And um, the two and a half years of planning that I did to, to get those nine months out of my body um, and those nine months out of like the locations was just, it, it was a lot of planning. And I hope that if anybody ever tries to do something like this, the one message that I can give them is please, please, please plan as much as you can. It really does help plan for time for your body to recover and heal and plan for the space to allow yourself to do this. Well, you know, speaking I, of I, healing, how are you healing after all of this? How, what's the residual effects now? To be, to be honest with you, I, that I, other than, um, other than the only injury that I actually have right now is a hernia and okay. But it's, but it's only triggered by, I hate to say it, running. Um, I don't feel it if I go to the gym and work out and lift heavy stuff. Like, I just don't feel it. But I feel it when I'm running. So right now, I'm just doing alternatives until I finally get to the point where I can have surgery. Mm -hmm. um, but the alternatives are working just fine. And, you know, I'm still able to do high interval training, uh, you know, high impact interval training. That's not a problem. Um, and everything has been great. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. So well, for I listeners that, that want to chip in and absolutely. help out the cause and, you know, donate more, what, what do they do? So they can go online if they want to, and they can go to uh, give.classy.org, um, classy, C-L-A-S-S-Y.org, and then slash support firefighters. So give.classy.org slash support firefighters. And they can just donate there if they want to. They can share the link out. Um, I find that sharing the link out a lot. Uh, has a lot of impact. So um, please do that. And yeah, that that's the best way that you can help out. Outstanding. So guys, check it out. Giveclassy.org, firefighters. Uh, check them out. Check out Maddie's stuff and su support this, guys. You know, this is, we've talked, we've dropped the name, the word community hundreds of times in this episode, but it's one of those things that I fully believe the more that we do together, the bigger the impact that we can have for, you know, for the OCR community, for the community in general and the world, really. Um, Maddie, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you to both of you. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. All right. So until next time, guys, thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week. So that was insane. That was crazy. Um, totally nuts to run across the country. I, are you going to do it? I mean, I kind of want to do it. You know, I'd like to do it in theory. I will drive the RV. How about that? <laughs> if you would drive the RV. Um, so one of to kind of backpack on all this, my grandmother gave me a book um, when I was riding bikes. So before I got into OCR, I was really big into cycling and I did um, a few rides across the state and stuff like that. Um, and I always okay. wondered if I wanted to cross the country on a bike. I had a few friends. I was looking at doing one where I was going to, do like kind of a habitat for humanity thing across uh -huh. uh, U.S. and ride my bike. Um, my grandmother gave me a book on how a family did it when I was um, before she passed away. When I was really big into it, and this kind of reignited that spike spark in me. Like maybe I'll revisit that here in the next few. Um, you it's know, pretty incredible, and I can't even imagine the memories and the stories and the things that. You know, so many questions I wanted to ask as far as, you know, what was the craziest thing you saw and what's the most, I mean, it's just What so was many... the best food you ate? What was... Right? Exactly. I mean, if what you're going to tour the country, <laughs> right? If you're going to tour the country, you might as well take a food sampling as well. 
Oh, absolutely. And that, you know, that just seeing so many things and I really, I'm excited to see when he does run for office, Mm -hmm. how he can play that into it because he's had this amazing adventure now that has helped define a lot of things and met a lot of amazing people and seen a lot of things, um, geographically as well as, um, you know, just a different socioeconomic standpoint across the country and, you know, just more power to you, Maddie. I, I wish you all the best. Yeah. Those of you guys listening, you know, if, if hearing this has done nothing but, you know, else, but motivate you just, you know, reach in those pockets and donate as, as, as much or as little as you can, because obviously it's going to an amazing, amazing charity and going to make a difference for these firefighters. So, um, and if click not, the links below and, and donate. And if even if so, make yourself aware. Um, that's one of the other biggest things that you can possibly do. Um, know things about, be, be educated about it. Look up into it. You know, maybe spend 10 minutes and do a little bit of knowledge on, you know, firefighter cancer or, you know, reach out to a local community. It's always a great thing to be. The more we learn as people, the more we grow and the more that we can do. And I just really, really, really wish that upon every single listener that we have um just grow just learn more and be educated awesome well Uh, that about does it for this week as always um, you know like share review absolutely um we'll be out at highlander assault i can't believe it's less than a month away yeah it's coming up we are gonna Mm. have chad on here soon um, the race director Mm. of highlander to explain all the different racing options that that there's a lot going going on on there is a lot going on. Kilts, mandatory. Um, Tattoos. <laughs> right, right. Bring it on. Um, it's going to be an coffee, awesome fun day. Crazy yeah. stuff, axe throwing. Uh, just come out yes. and check it out. Once again, um, and for those of you who are interested and haven't signed up yet, um, I've heard there's like over 800 people, 900 people signed up now. That's the last mm-hmm. I've heard. Uh, check it out. Code BroCR saves you 25%. Get out there. Get on it. And come drink a beer with us because we're going to be having a riot. Um, yep. Additionally, a uh, big shout out to Human Octane. Human Octane is the apparel sponsor of Bro CR. Leah, how are your Human Octane shorts this weekend? I wore them for the first time in a race setting, and I've got to say, I am super impressed. Um, they stayed in place. It was awesome. They, you know, provided compression where I needed to be compressed and held me, you know, held good. Held everything um, down. Right. From a lady Can't perspective. recommend them enough. <laughs> it's definitely worth it. And the best part is, um, they've come clean and look good as new. And that's, that's my whole point is with human octane. You can wash this time after time after time again. It takes a beating, keeps on ticking. It's great stuff. So check them out guys. Human octane, great gear. Um, with that, I think that's really everything we've got this week. Um, and until then I- I'm Jacob Bosecker and I'm Leah Hensley. You guys take care out there. See you on the okay. course. This has been the Bro CR Supercast, powered by Bro CR Media. We always love reviews. Oh, and shout outs too. Want to be on the review? Drop us a line. We know there are other obstacle course racing podcasts out there, but you choose to laugh with us for a while. So, thanks. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. And thank you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. God bless. Bye-bye. And bye-bye. Bye-bye. And bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. And bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.